Coming up in this episode of the Super Pesos Roundup podcast, it's a baseball takeover, as Miko and I are joined by a new co-host for this special edition. It's Orna Ullinen of the British women's baseball team. Welcome to episode 43 of the Super Pesis Roundup podcast, or rather, a baseball takeover version of the Super Pesis Roundup podcast. I am your host, Ian Alba, and joining me in the dugout is our coach, resident here on the podcast. It's Mikko Pirhonen. Mikko, how are you doing? Uh, tired, but extremely happy. I mean, after the last six days in London, and especially the MLB experience, I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm just too happy that it actually happened, and uh, and after all twists and turns, I'm back home in Helsinki, and all systems go. Excellent, and for our other co-host, we've gone to the bullpen, and we've changed up for a very special guest indeed, uh, Orna Erlinen, who uh, has the honour of recording the first win for the British women's team, uh, baseball team, uh, Finnish-born originally. Orna, welcome to the uh, podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. It's what a crazy chance that we happen to bump into each other, considering <laughs> you know no no prior knowledge of one another before. But I'm so excited to be here and yeah. talk about all things baseball, especially after the weekend that we've had. Well, I was I was going to say it was it was such a a strange meeting and perhaps one of the most unfinished things ever. Me kind of tapping you on the shoulder and saying, "Excuse me, <laughs> are you from Finland?" Um, but yeah, it was it was uh, great to see you at the the event, and we'll talk a little bit more uh, about that in a moment. But um, before we get on to the MLB experience and we talk a little bit about um, the sport itself and and uh, how. And Pesapolo may be able to learn a few things from the way that uh, MLB runs their show. Um, I'd like to get to know you and, and your um, love of, of baseball a little bit better. So you were born originally in uh, Finland, but now you live and you work uh, over here in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I was born in Finland, uh, lived in Lochia most of my life. And um, I came to the UK originally in 2014 for university. So came and did my bachelor's um, at UEA in Norwich. And I started baseball there. So I had, a, I had an American housemate who didn't go and want to go by himself to baseball training. And I said I would go with him. And yeah, here we are, sort of eight years later. Um, when I went and did my master's at the University of Surrey, I started a club there. So we played university baseball all the way throughout. And then uh, from there, I started playing in the adult leagues as well. So we've got a mixed league, uh, sort of four different levels across the across the country. So I play in that. 
and then in 29, uh, 2021, we started the Women's League. So there's now six teams playing in the Women's League, and I play in one of the teams, the Bells Baseball. And yeah, so that's that's where we kind of got got the women's national team together and played in the Euros in August 2022 and got our first win there. And that's where um, I, I played um, first time internationally as well, which is really exciting. Yeah. Well, uh, we'll talk a little bit about that game in a moment. Um, but obviously being born in Finland, um, Pesapalo is is the bat and ball sport of uh, of the country. Um, when you first were introduced to baseball by um, this friend of yours, uh, what did you think of the sport, first of all? Well, there's a lot of similarities to, to Pesapalo in that sense. If you've got, you've got a bat, you've got a ball, you hit it. Off you go run around the bases but I think I, I actually got quite a lot of the similarity was with badminton so I play a lot of badminton I've played about 18 19 years of badminton now and the throwing motion is exactly the same as a clear so it's a kind of turned up being able to throw which is usually the thing that people are, are, are worse at and generally better at catching the ball whereas I was the other way around I could throw but not catch <laughs> Um, well, it, I, I really loved it. I fell it like, honestly, the first time I turned up and I think I fell in love the first time. It was just so much fun. You're outside, you get to enjoy the sunshine and throw a ball around. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that you mentioned badminton because I, I never really thought about it. But uh, I, I, I can see what you're talking about there because uh, my dad always used to play badminton. He's, he's a big cricket uh, player as well. He he still plays and travels all around the world with his um, over seventies um, playing cricket uh, for them. So um, yeah, I I came to um, baseball because of my dad. Actually, he he's a Red Sox fan uh, for his sins. Um, but I I started watching in the middle of the night because they used to show games here on on television in the middle of the night. Um, and I just fell in love with the game. I was, I was really, really interested in the, the atmosphere that was created by this this whole game. And um, being very familiar with bat and ball sports because of the, the cricket, it was it was something really interesting, really new. And uh, the statistics are something I really love as well. As Mika will, will tell you about the <laughs> statistics stuff I do with um, Peso Polo. But um, I started watching. Uh, games and one of my uh, one of my favourite personalities in the game um, was Tony La Russa. and so obviously then I started to become a, a Cardinals fan and um, you know everybody from what was it the 2002-2003 kind of seasons um, I knew everything about because I, I just went straight to the internet to, to learn everything I could about this team and this sport and um, yeah to be able to see the Cardinals live in the UK, I've, I've seen them before in, in the States, of course, but to see them live here in the UK was, was something really special. And of course, they were supposed to be with us um, in 2020, but due to the pandemic, that uh, game had to be uh, cancelled. Uh, Mika, what was your uh, first uh, experience of baseball? Well, I think that my first experience was at around 16 when I got some like glimpses of baseball and uh, back then my my sister was an au pair in New Jersey and that's like um, I somehow got some like VHS tapes and like some highlight 
reels also. And I don't know, because I used to play Pesapolo all my life. And I was very curious about baseball. I knew that I knew the history that like intertwines the two games or to be more specific that Pesapolo is partially developed from baseball to begin with. But um yeah, that was basically my first touch, but I would like to give a special mention as a coach uh, because I, I was a coach even back in 1998 and when I started to study the throwing movement with the, like a coaching mentor of mine, it, and not kidding here, uh, badminton was one of the thing, uh, games and also like squash came out that both were uh, a they were extremely good for shoulder movement and keeping the shoulder like stable and moving to its direction and both are very popular among like Finnish super passive players and nowadays of course like Padel and games like that but still that's a funny coincidence well, I remember uh, seeing some some great games uh, live or, or on the television. Um, Orna, do you have any specific games that that really stand out in your mind? Oh, I'm not sure if I've got any specific ones. I remember my very first Blue Jay game that I watched because I'm a I'm a Jays fan, um, a very poor Jays fan to be honest. I'm well, terrible at keeping yeah. up with it. We've 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 swapped our regular co-host Ron Bronson, who is a Blue Jays fan, for for your good self. So it's a shame. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I think that was potentially one of the ones. Um, they had a lefty pitcher because I'm so I'm a pitcher mainly myself. I'm left-handed. I'm a pitcher, and I was watching this lefty pitcher. He had just the nicest pickoff move out of every pitcher I've ever seen, and I was just sitting there, kind of going, "That's what I want to do." And after that, I think I watched like every one of his games and then slowly became just watching all of Jay's games. Um, but I can't remember if there's any specific games that just really stood out to me. The London series games were great. The 2019 ones that I originally went to see because I volunteered for those games. So I volunteered all the way throughout the week beforehand to help with like the kids sessions. And we did some sessions for schools. And, and then on the game days, we had the, the sort of activities that you had on the on the outside. So I was volunteering for those and then got to go to the game afterwards. And it's just something about the fact that it was live in the UK, this whole community just coming together for this one amazing thing. There was just something really special about that. So maybe for a specific game, the original um, London series games. Well, it must have been incredible to be part of that. And and, and to be part of the first here in the UK uh, must have been something really special. Um, it. I know that uh, MLB are trying to create a legacy uh, program over here now, so to really grow that sport, and it, it's fantastic. And of course, we've seen some um, some success from uh, the British team in the World Baseball Classic uh, earlier this year as well. Um, one one of my favourite games that I've seen live was um, actually the Rays in the uh, AL Division Series in two thousand and eleven. 
Um, the uh, Texas Rangers came in and, and won the game. <laughs> so they, they, and the, and the series with that win, uh, unfortunately for Rays fans. But, um, yeah, Beltre hit a, uh, three, three home runs in the game. Um, basically to, to put the game out of reach of, of the Rays. But there was this, this play from, from, uh, from third to home. And the runner just railroaded the catcher and everybody in the stadium was just on their feet. They were just like, come on, make it. It was incredible. And to be part of that experience was just amazing. Even though the race did lose in the end, um, I was really rooting for them um, because of that real kind of passion that they they showed. Um, but another game, obviously, um, that brings to mind being a Cardinals fan is that game six in the World Series that uh, very same year where the uh, the Cardinals came back twice uh, to win the World Series well to win game six and then on to win the World Series in game seven um, when they were down to their last strike um, Miko do you have any uh, specific games that really come to mind yeah these are like <clears throat> okay you have an actual like reason to <laughs> tell these like tales about specific series but uh, it sounds sounds more like uh, ancient like sto- <laughs> storytelling there which is talking about something that happened like <clears throat> right after the World War two but uh, okay uh, I was introduced to baseball live at the old Yankee Stadium which was something else because like it is attached to the fact that my sister was there and uh, we came back to visit that family who were connected with like a lot of uh, New York sports clubs and well Yankees happened to be one of them Yankees White Sox in 2002 that was my first like live game uh, and uh, well then it took 21 years to see another MLB game live. But in between, I think that when, when I was coaching in Helsinki, uh, like in men's Ukkospesis, we went to play in baseball, like in the Finnish Cup. Like not in, not in the actual series, but the Cup. Cup series. And uh, we got to the final and lost there to the seven-time Finnish champions back then, Espo Expos. But a lot of players from that team played both Pesapalo and baseball. So it's, uh, yeah, those are the things that come to mind right now. <laughs> and we've seen a, a bit of a, a resurgence of, of baseball in uh, Finland at the moment, we've seen them officially now affiliated with the uh, Pesapalolito as well. Um, but Orna, none of this compares, as far as I'm concerned, to the history you made when you picked up the first win for the Britain's national team. Um, I was saying to Miko um, at the weekend, you're going to be the answer to somebody's pub quiz question one day. <laughs> you really will. Um, it's fantastic. So um, the game, of course, was in August last year, 3rd of August, um, victory over Czechia, um, 27-10. to 10. It finished after the fifth inning, uh, an immersive rule. Um, so you absolutely 
dominated them. But Wanna, what do you remember about that game? The heat. It was really, <laughs> really hot that day. I want to say it's about 32, 32 degrees. Sun from a clear sky to the point where when they put the sprinklers on um, on the field, everyone just kind of run onto the field and try to run through the sprinklers get get some of that that water on just because it was so hot um i remember the energy it's just you don't really hear anything everything is just this white noise nothing else matters except what's on the field so you've got this almost like tunnel vision of we're going to win this game we're going to win this game we're going to win this game it's our first european tour it was our most of our players first time playing outside of the uk or even playing in a game with this high stakes so everyone was just so hyped up and I just remember that energy it's kind of like thrumming through everybody on the field everybody on the bench every coach every audience member but it's so hard to remember details because you're so swept up in that moment I honestly I don't think I remember much of being on the field apart from when we then won Mm. it's just this kind of fuzzy I was there but I wasn't really thinking about anything all you're thinking about is that next pitch is throw that next ball and that's all that matters because it there might not be another pitch you know if they hit it if they're out then that's that batter and then once you've got your three outs game over and it's yeah it's quite incredible really it's yeah it was huge (laughs) (laughs) well uh, the the start of the game uh, was good for for the British team, uh, three runs in the first inning. Um, but by the bottom of the second, uh, Czechia had, had tied it four and four. Um, it, it, it must have been um, really tense there. But when you're pitching, um, how, how do you sort of clear your mind? Because obviously there's a lot of things going on. There's a lot of pressure on that pitcher, not, not just to... Um, have the right pitch selection, which of course you're working through with your catcher, but to get the location right and to get enough speed um, and, and movement, if it's a curveball or change, but something like that, how, how do you deal with that pressure? You take your time. The The thing I do is I tend to do a little lap around the mound. It's um, You kind of want to almost, I tend to try to take at least eight to 10 seconds between pitches where I after I get the ball back from the catcher, you take your little walk around, you make sure you've got your good footing if you need to move some dirt around near the near the plate. And I like to just kind of look out into the outfield sometimes. It's, you kind of take yourself out of that game for a little bit. You look away from the field and all that pressure and just try to breathe for a minute. Well, not a minute, but for a moment. You try to get a couple of breaths in. Yeah, I was going to say... Um... I, I, drawing the parallel then to uh, what we see now in in MLB and, and Mick and I now seen it firsthand live is the pitch clock and and how that must impact or, or really ramp up that little bit of pressure for those pitchers as well. Yeah, I think we're going to see a, a bit of a mental shift in pitchers. I think there is going to be that that change where you can take your time quite so much. You have to be able to cope with that that faster pace. So yeah, I think we're really going to see some pitchers really struggle with that. And um, potentially throw more balls and throw more in the dirt and all that sort of stuff, just because you're going to have that extra pressure. You're going to take your time as much, so you have to go at the game's pace rather than your your pace. Yeah, and of course, uh, you mentioned as well that you're now playing for the Essex uh, Baseball Club as well. Um, 
how do you how do you feel fitting in with with that club it's been really good so I was really nervous going over to them because it was my first time sort of really moving clubs so I, where, where I'd started in at UEA and I played with the Norwich Icini for a little bit because I went to Guildford after that and that was kind of my my first actual club that I hadn't started or took, been there from the beginning um, or, and I wasn't so new anymore so it was, it was easy but then I just got really comfortable there and now that I've moved over to Essex I was really not sure what to expect but the team's been really really welcoming and I think that is the thing that makes the biggest difference if the team is if they can show you that they, they want you to be there and I went up a level as well which you know that's always nerve-wracking you get you face slightly better pitching slightly better fielding you can't you don't have space to make as many errors as you do in the in the lower division so there's always that little bit of pressure as well but the team's been really good about having my back and you know being really supportive and like critiquing when you're doing badly but then in a supportive way and no it's really nice to play in a competitive league it's it's very exciting I would say (laughs) (laughs) and this really um brings us on to uh, how we met actually at the weekend um at the MLB fan zone at Trafalgar Square because um, Mika and I were were there ready to to watch the game having been uh, to London Stadium just the uh, day before to see it live thought we'd we'd catch the vibe down at uh, Trafalgar Square and we heard over the announcement the the lineups for this home run derby and we both looked at each other when we heard your name and thought what that sounds like a Finnish name So either somebody's really butchering the pronunciation of something, or we we have a fellow Finn here that we can we can talk to. So, um, like I said at the top of the show, I did the most unfinished thing you can think of and tap you on the shoulder and say, "Excuse me." <laughs> but there we are. So uh, it was it was a well attended event uh, uh, actually uh, in Trafalgar Square. Um, how did it feel getting into that cage? facing those uh, those balls, trying to slug, uh, being a pitcher as well. Do you think you're the, the next Otani, maybe? <laughs> oh, I wish. That would be amazing. <laughs> be able to do everything. Need to improve my batting for that, though. Um, no, it was, it, was, it was great. It was the fact that you couldn't really see the audience too much in the cage, so you don't, you don't really have too much to... Oh, it doesn't make you so nervous because you can't see all of those people watching you and seeing if you're going to miss it. But we did get a couple of um, practice reps behind the, behind the scenes. There was a cage. We got to do a little warm-up. You get to see what the pigeon's like. And, you know, they really weren't trying to strike you out. They were just trying to throw balls into the zone and and yeah. give you that best opportunity to try and club one. And, you know, moved around the locations a little bit, try to find that pit that you like the best. Um, everyone's got their own preferences, whether they like the high outside or the low inside. So, you know, you've got to got to give something for everybody, right? Um, yeah. But, no, it was, it was – I was nervous – a little bit because you you then don't want to embarrass yourself in the in front in the in the big screen in front of everybody, but I think it went really well. It was really fun, and once my twelve were done, I kind of wanted to get another twelve. <laughs> <laughs> well, Mikkel was tempted to get in the cage at some point, but um, I think we uh, <laughs> we decided uh, probably probably not the best idea. But uh, yeah, Mikkel, what did you what did you make of the whole um, at home run derby with Una uh, as well? Well, I think. I would expand it to the whole experience, like on Sunday, I would say early afternoon, like say two or three hours before the game. And at that point, it was still kind of vibrant. I mean, 
compared to Friday and Saturday, it's of course it's a different vibe. But still on still on Sunday, that was quite a good crowd at that point. And uh, I mean, things like those are for me they are very much attached to the event itself, so that you kind of just create this kind of a hub somewhere else like outside of the stadium which just happened to be Trafalgar Square of all places but I mean it's like a I just compared it to the uh, to a friend of mine uh, as a, like a golf simulator but <laughs> but just a bigger and better one and uh, yeah you need to have things like that I mean you need to entertain people and like show them stuff i mean that that was fun well i was definitely entertained and i was in, incredibly impressed uh, when as i say because uh, being a pitcher um there's a, there's usually a lot of um protection from having to go out there and bat so actually to go up there and say yeah i'm i'm going to do this i'm i'm going to try and um hit a few dingers um you know it was uh, it was really impressive and and uh, showed a lot of uh, courage as well, so I was really impressed with that. Um, so moving on then to the games themselves, um, Miko, you and I were sat next to each other, kind of sinking into our seats during game one of the series as the Cardinals, um, well, they they barely showed up, I think is probably the best way to, to put it. But um, Orna, you were there for both games, weren't you? Yeah, so I, I was there on Saturday with um, friends from other teams, and then on Sunday after the home run derby, they because um, they gave us tickets to go see the game afterwards, which was really quite an amazing opportunity because I don't think I would have been able to afford tickets for both days. Um, so yeah, no, they shipped us over and 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 got gave us access to the games, which it was nice to see the the game where the Cardinals actually fall back a little bit. Yeah, so it was a good game to watch. Well, Miko and I were, were talking before both the first game and the second game as to what our expectations were. And I think my, my bottom line really was the first game was, I have no idea. Anything can happen. Either the Cardinals are going to come out and they're going to play well or they're not. And, and it's the same with the Cubs. My overarching kind of thought was, which of these two teams is going to lose it? Not who's going to win it, but who's going to go out there and lose it? Um, and the answer then came <laughs> in the form of the Cardinals. Um, for me, I think Adam Wainwright, love the guy. He's been a great pitcher for the Cardinals for so long. Um, and I've got, I've got so many happy memories of games that I've watched him pitching, but he just didn't have it uh, on the Saturday. And he, he knew it. I mean, talking in interviews afterwards, he was just like, yeah, I wasn't there. Uh, his location was off, his speed was off, and um, especially uh, Hap uh, for the Cubs uh, picked off his pitches and sent them sailing into the stands. So, um, Mikko, what did you make of that first game? Well, first of all, I love that kind of an individual sport experience that, for example, Wayne Wright there had uh, against the, like, the badass because that is something that like Ona said that the tunnel vision well you mentioned the whole team but as a pitcher that is something that fascinates me 
a lot because it's so much about like one versus one. So it's it's like it is a duel, and uh, you just you are just focused on doing like your stuff, and you know that what you can't control, they know what you can't control, and. Then you just beat the spots, and when you are in the zone, you are in the zone. But when you are not, what can you do? And that is what fascinates me a lot. And both, like on Saturday, on both individual level and as a club, in like in total, they just kind of laid down and played dead, to be honest. And uh, the big question for Sunday was that: Do they have? any like fighting them do do they have an, any dog like but they did and that was like that was the like the overriding theme for me for the weekend but uh, as for saturday i was just uh i was just bummed for you that <laughs> you didn't get to see the God- cardinals win like live yeah over there well yeah, I mean, I, I got to see them win uh, on the big screen on the Sunday, and of course, um, when I've seen them live before as well, um, many, many years ago now, saw my favourite pitcher, Jason Isringhausen, get the save. Um, so yeah, that was that was a great experience as well. But yeah, it was it was like you say, Mick. The 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 question that was rattling through my mind, and the, and the point uh, about game two, was. Could the Cardinals come back? And for me, that would mean more than how badly they lost on the Saturday. Because, you know, you're going to pick up losses. The question is, what comes after that loss? Do you go into a slide? Uh, Is there difficulties within personalities within the team? You know, people in a slump? Um, Or does the team come back and try and do something? Do something um, big or bold? And I got a sense, I mean, okay, the first inning for the Cardinals looked terrible. And I was I was ready to start sinking under the table and thinking, yeah, here we go again. Um, but actually, despite those just kind of first inning jitters, a couple of errors, um, mishandling here and there, actually they, they pulled it together and they, and they looked like uh, the decent side that they can be, and on paper they should be. Um, but uh, yeah, Orna, what did you think of the uh, the second game? I thought the comeback was nice. It was amazing. It was really great to watch it there as well. Um, and it was just something about the entire energy around the 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 stadium was different. There were so many Cubs fans on Saturday, and then we, when we were counting the hats on Sunday, you could see the shift towards more Cardinals fans around. So you can tell there's a the, the crowd does make a difference to the, the team sometimes, I suppose. You've got that energy around the stadium, which can just, it, it can show up on the field as well. And there was that, there was a play in the second game, uh, runner on, runner on first, and we thought it was going to be a double play, but then the runner got, this was Cubs, Cubs batting, uh, cards fielding. But the runner was called safe at second, so then when they threw the ball over to first, runner went to third and then tried to go home and then got caught yeah. out at home. Yeah. That was to me where the momentum shifted. It was the the way they got out of that inning instead of letting another run score. That was to me where it was clear that the cards were fighting back. Yeah, absolutely. And it was um 
it was like you say that kind of uh, mentality of of the infielders to to know instinctively okay where the runner is where they're going okay whether we've made the play or not i i they may not have necessarily seen what what the umpire's signaling but you get the ball to where the player's going because if you don't and you've not got the out already somewhere then for the love of god <laughs> you don't just hold on to it and watch them score a run um but yes, so that was, like you say, a real momentum shift. Um, you were there, obviously, as I say, live for both games. I've got a very serious question to ask you now. Um, take me out to the ball game. Who sang it better, Bill Murray or John Goodman? <laughs> you can't ask me stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> I am going to say John Goodman. There we go. That's the right answer. But... <laughs> but... That's hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm joking, of course, I'm joking. Um, but it's things like that. I, I love that kind of atmosphere. It's a real tradition uh, thing. Um, there, there's so much tradition that goes along with baseball. I always think that uh, baseball is a sport that has evolved. It's made slow, incremental kind of changes here and there. You know, the pitcher's mound occasionally changes by an inch or so. Even the, the pitching clock um, is is radical in, in terms of the changes. But then when you compare it to Pesapolo, for example, you know, it went from a nine-inning game to two acts of, of four innings. We've got jokers. We've got, you know, all these kind of different things coming in all the time. And the league structure changes um, very very frequently. I always think Pesapol is more of a revolution type game. There's these big changes coming in uh, quite often to uh, re-energise it in some ways. Um, but that's enough about the games for now. I want to talk a little bit about the actual stadiums, the atmosphere, and me being a big foodie, the food itself. So, um, uh, Una, what did you think of some of the, the offerings of, of food that were there at the stadium? Well, I think they... they outdid themselves compared to last time definitely it's the it was the sort of foot long hot dogs it was the nachos it was the just the scale of everything it was all so huge and it gave you that idea of what to expect when you go to an american ball game right it's it's bringing that piece of america over and getting people used to that everything is bigger everything is better everything is greasier um (laughs) but you've got that real atmosphere that makes you really feel like you're out there uh, rather than just, you know, you're at the West Ham Stadium that they've just slapped a turf on and put a baseball field on there. It's It really feels like you're out at a real stadium. And just the amount of people out, it's electric. Yeah, well, I, I would agree completely. Um, there's some nice little bits of food that we had, both there and, of course, um, in Trafalgar Square as well, because they had food on offer there that uh, matched... Uh, the flavour kind of combinations and stylings of St. Louis and of Chicago as well, which is a lovely little um, touch to try and bring the fans a little bit closer to these kind of cultures that grow around the ball clubs and and stuff. Um, Miko, did you feel a little bit more emotionally invested or um, closer to the uh, the Cardinals and Cubs having these kind of foods on offer? Well, definitely. I mean, I was thinking about the. Um, it was my thirteenth time in England watching some sports event live, 
in okay the previous 12 have been football games but still for example uh, compared to premier league games that was a completely different kind of an atmosphere and that was <laughs> that was a stadium where an actual premier league team plays so of course it provides you the opportunity to do that but it doesn't mean that they they would should or actually could necessarily do that and i was curious about what it's going to be like and that was very like comparable to like going to uh, an nfl game in usa or going to an nhl game in usa like for me and but i would actually i'm like all i you mentioned that it they outdid themselves compared to the previous series but what was the general atmosphere like when it was when they were there the first time that was it similar like compared to this so the atmosphere yes um i would say i think because they had that experience of last time they knew how to organize the venue how to sort out the the concession stands and how where to put the bars and all of that and what sort of foods to offer so in that sense i think they did better in, in, in this um in this year's edition. But I would say the atmosphere obviously because the first time round it was the first time the everybody was out there. It was such a novelty. Obviously for a lot of people this was the first live baseball game that they ever get to see. It was it was my very first live ball game. Um, so there are loads of people who haven't had the opportunity to go and see a game to experience the atmosphere. So it was different in the sense of we didn't know what to expect but just the pure enthusiasm of everybody getting to see their favorite teams or just a game of baseball live the first time ever it's that kind of really radiated in that first time whereas I think the, the second one everyone was a uh, new to what to expect you know behave like you've been there before that that sort of thing <laughs> well it's it, it's interesting because um just looking at the the list of places where MLBs play uh, games before, all in countries where they do have um, fairly long-standing um, relationships with baseball. You know, Mexico, Japan, of course, as well. I'm a very big fan of of Japanese baseball and the history that goes with that. In fact, a fair number of games there. Australia, even they've got uh, a professional league there. Um, but the UK. I mean, baseball's really quite a, a minority and small sport here. Um, I mean, even cricket's not that big. <laughs> you know, football uh, it takes takes the top spot, obviously. So, um, for the organisers to actually create an event that is quite alien to the kind of things that they'll be used to um, was quite impressive, and I was I was really impressed to see how it felt. I know uh, Mikko and I were, were talking a lot about the, the atmosphere overall, um, both in the stadium and at the fan zone. Um, and the kind of activities they had as well. Okay, Mikko and I spent uh, a fair amount of money in the um, <laughs> the MLB merchandise tent. Um, but uh, when we got to the, the Trafalgar Square uh, fan zone there was um activities for us to to try out as well and i thought that was a really nice touch to kind of bring that kind of personal edge um uh, across as well um Anna, what was your experience of that fan zone 
in general? I mean, I think it's already, it's it's an amazing idea to do, right? You've got all of these people who maybe can't afford tickets, maybe can't put in the time commitment of three, four hours and getting there and traveling back and forth. And if you've got a whole family who want to go, it can be prohibitively expensive or prohibitively difficult to arrange. But now you've got this free thing where you can go to and celebrate and still be part of that experience. So I thought that was it's, it's massive, especially considering the central location and the amount of people who would just bump into it, not knowing anything about it. It's raising that awareness that actually there is baseball in this country. And we've we've seen about seven or eight expressions of interest immediately after the series was over in the club in general, people wanting to come and play. And it's it's that growing of the sport by raising the awareness of it. The amount of people where we walk in, in our baseball jerseys into a pub and someone will always come up and uh, come up and say, I didn't realize there was baseball in this country. Where do I sign up? And it's that's what this event does yeah. for me. It's it's that centralness of the location and the things that you can try out for yourself. The batting, you can do a bit of pitching. You get to see the teams, and the home run derby. Like you've you've got these these really central things to the game, and it's allows you to try it for yourself. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so we'll take a, a short break here and then we'll uh, come back and talk about some of the lessons that maybe Pesapolo can take from MLB. Okay, uh, so welcome back. Uh, we are uh, still joined with our special guest, Orna Ullinen. Um Talking about baseball, it's our baseball takeover episode. One of the questions I, I posed for Mikko while, I was, uh, while we were there in, in London this weekend was, what kind of lessons do we think that Pesapolo can learn from, from MLB? Because I'm all about kind of learning experiences from different sports and what, what these different uh, things can can teach us you know that there's a saying that travel broadens the mind well surely traveling from one sport to another is also something that can help broaden the mind and experiences too um, at the end of the day you know sports competitive entertainment for people and we want people to come and watch and enjoy themselves um Mikko, my my initial thought about what mlb does really well and Pesapolo doesn't do so well, is the kind of engagement that you get from turning a game into just a simple game into an event. And they do that so well. And um, we were talking before about the different kinds of um, activities that they have on offer, the, the different kinds of experiences, but also... Um, there's things like the sing songs with um, the tradition of take me out to the ball game, seventh inning stretch. Um, you've got um, just little VT bits now and then where you've got questions to to kids where they can win like little prizes and things like that. So creating an event, something that is worthwhile attending, something that draws in people that wouldn't ordinarily be there, people that want to keep coming back because there's more excitement than just the game itself being part of something uh, Mikko what do you think about that <laughs> okay I try to <clears throat> I try to keep this short uh, because uh, I've been thinking about this a lot over 
the last couple of days because I've been also comparing it to the like the cricket experience that I had earlier this year in South Asia. And uh, I've sat in like numerous superpasses like meetings and just hearing over and over again about the lack of resources and we cannot do this and we cannot do that and we have a, just resources to employ one person to do this and also then that person just <laughs> needs to do everything else as well because they are the ones who are getting paid but I think the point is about it's like making the event look like your own because not everybody can make an MLB experience. Some teams have the resources to do that, like not that, but that kind of a thing. But the others can do and will do better by making it a product that like reflects the area and the people and the values that they have within the area. And just bringing that up, and most of all, I mean, for make make those damn stories, people. I mean, just bring the, everybody has those stories in its area. Just bring those up, and then just think about the event after that. But yeah, you're true. Uh, you're right. I mean. Even with the resources that the Pesapalo clubs have available to them, they could do a lot better. I mean, <laughs> by a country mile. But yeah, that's my short quarter <laughs> take on it. Yeah. Because, I mean, th- th- there are some things that either don't cost a lot of money or, or cost no money at all. So you've got like a really old. And unusable balls left over. Just get players to come and sign them and hand them out before the games. Spend a little time talking to the fans. Um, and this, this this really talks about one of my second kind of thoughts on this is this kind of idea of being able to emotionally invest in a team. So if you know who the players are, you know their backstories, you know their highs, their lows, the things that drive them, you can find like a, a common touch with them you you feel like you want to root for them because you feel like you know them inside and out well, obviously you, you don't but you know there are certain players um mlb players that i i've been following over years and i um you know i love the stories that they have like uh yadier molina i absolutely loved his story and, and the the efforts he did to try and help uh his home community um as well I, I just think if there's more kind of emphasis on on bringing fans to believe and want to support the players and the team themselves, that actually they'll want to emotionally invest. And if they emotionally invest, they'll probably financially invest as well by spending money, buying merchandise, coming to the games week after week, day after day. Um Whilst I was writing the uh, podcast outline for today, um, I actually uh, had a, um, an alert on Facebook to say that Huvinkan uh, Tahkom 
have uh, got a, a fan candy day uh, this coming Sunday, so it'll be after the, this podcast airs. Um, but basically, they're they're giving out um, player cards, badges, group photos. You can come meet the players. Um, you know, it's a family day and all of this stuff. I'm like, yes, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. That's exactly the kind of stuff. I mean, obviously, they're, they're spending a little bit of bit of money on on some of those things, but you know, Barkov have been drawing fans to the stands in the last year and a half now. Uh, seeing an increase in in their attendance, but this is the kind of way to to keep them. Um, Orna, what do you think about uh, the things that Pesapalo could learn from MLB? Well, I think I think you've both already got the majority of it. Really, it's it's about those other things that tie in and and give you that reason to believe in the team identity, isn't it? It's getting kids involved. It's it's kind of doing those things that make you feel like you can relate to the team, like you care about how they do it's it's that feeling of pride almost of your city your team like this is my team they're doing well and you 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 can get behind that and root for that and it's it brings you that sense of community everybody rooting for the same thing it's we've got a lot of reasons to you know have everyone's got different beliefs and you know or different people in different circumstances but you can all root for the same team that has it can unite very different types of people from very different backgrounds. And I think it's got that that thing that can get across all of our other differences. It's it's something that really can bring people together. And I think that's where especially like MLB does a lot of activations with schools and with children and getting kids into the sport. And when you play it, you want to watch it. You get these idols, like the amount of kids looking up to Shohei Otani going, I want to pitch and I want to bat. And it gives them something to look up to and to believe in. And and that becomes a really important part of the community. Yeah, that's uh, that's the thing. I never liked the DH rule anyway. Let the pitchers bat. That's what I say. Um, <laughs> um, but so we've we've talked about um, some of the um, some of the uh, things that Pasquale could learn from uh, from MLB. But what are the kind of things that MLB could learn from Pasquale? Um, for me, obviously, the pace of the game in Pesapol is very, very fast compared to to MLB. It's a very different creature. I know we've we've seen the uh, the pitching clock uh, come in as well. Do you think that the pace of the game should be quicker, or is it better left as it is at the moment, uh, Ona? I think it depends on who you are and what you enjoy watching. So I think for me, the pace is good because I like to watch the pitchers. So for me, having that those battles between, like Mika, you called it earlier, like a duel or a battle between the batter and the pitcher, and that's very much what it is. And for me, the the pace doesn't need to be any faster because that's what I'm interested in. It's it's the the pitch sequencing, it's the the command, the locating, but then with the batter, the decision, am I going to swing, am I not going to swing, am I just going to tap that one away? Do they try to bunt? Do they just try to swing? It's all those decisions, and you can see all of that going on in the in the meantime. And if anything, I think to me, baseball is a community sport as well. So we like to watch it as a group. It, that pace for me it gives you that space to have a conversation. Oh my God, did you see that play? What happened there? Mm-hmm. You've got time to debrief with the person next to you. Whereas when the game is moving really quickly, you haven't really got the time, or you're going to miss something. Yeah. But if you're the kind of person who maybe likes to watch the the running or the plays, then I can understand if you're not that interested in watching the pitching, then of course you want the game to go faster, right? 
you'll <laughs> want more things to see. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the other um, things I was thinking about, um, having watched so much Pasapalo over the over the <laughs> past few years in particular, is um, the level of, of tactics uh, and the the breadth of tactics in in Pasapalo is 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 vast, and I know there's a lot of tactics buried within the game in in MLB, but I tend to find that game managers play it quite safe. I'd like to see more game managers be more aggressive with their tactics and and less risk averse. Uh, Michael, what do you think about those uh, two points? Well, that to me is a very interesting point. I mean, when you raised that up, I immediately got thinking that, okay, that that is like something that I can get a grip on immediately. But like overall, I would say that if you have two games that are both over 100 years old, and one is like partially like developed from the other, but significantly like this significant difference being the vertical pitch, which changes everything. So you cannot say that, I mean, even though I say that if we are talking tactics, uh, baseball is like playing tic-tac-toe and like Pesapalo is playing chess. And I'm not the... Sorry if I'm offending baseball here, but that's just how it turns out to be. But that does not make like make baseball any less enticing. Like it's just a different animal, and it's like what what they can learn is that uh, I would say that. At some point, yeah, the, uh, I used to read a lot of like New York New York Times articles about MLB, and the, sometimes they were talking about tactics and the outfield movement. And at some point, there was like an outfield that was moving like hunt, like hunting as a pack, so to say. And I was like, you guys are like a hundred and thirty years in. And now you're talking about like the outfit actually moving, uh, like, like, yeah. But I think that with all the with all the resources that MLB and baseball in general have at their disposal, it's uh, I found it un- quite unlikely that there's a lot that Pesapalo can give as such, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's a thing or two that could, like, be well, yeah, that you could basically use straight straight off the bat uh, in in baseball. Well, moving uh, towards uh, baseball just a little bit (laughs) in this baseball takeover, and it has been a bit of a takeover uh, episode of the podcast, um, we've uh, had the midsummer break, and in fact, uh, we've had games played today at the day of recording. Some very interesting results, which we'll just touch on in a minute. Um, but Mika, we we talked whilst we met over the weekend about which teams we felt were surprising us or doing very well, and which teams we were rather disappointed 
in. Uh, in terms of the men's team, the obvious um, surprises for me were uh, Partioki and, and Kempele. I've been very impressed with, with both of those teams. Um, like I say, the surprise for me was Partu because, of course, um, we had our disagreement in our preview show as to which team we thought would be ahead at the midsummer break, whether it was Patu or IPV. The winner of the pint series, of course, um, was Mikko Pjorun, and, and did that pint taste oh so sweet, Mikko? Tell me. <laughs> yeah, it had that. It had the special feeling, all right. But, uh, but uh, okay, I I need to rewind rewind back a bit because uh, when we're talking about like uh, you sent me. Um, graph about the average attendance in men's super presence, for example. And now that we're talking about um, uh, Patioki, for example, I'm just going to draw it back a bit. Because for me, they are building like from the grassroots again. And of course, they now, now they have a team who they are actually competing again. But when I think about like each small sport growing in their own, like, well, <laughs> well, geographically or economically or whatever. And when I think about them or Pesapola growing here in Helsinki, that to me draws a big comparison to, for example, baseball and baseball in England, baseball in Finland, that whenever you can get some exposure and someone to come in and actually be a part of that thing, then there's some off chance that that person might be someone who actually has talent somewhere else in life too, <laughs> which always would be like preferable. But... But then, that being the case, those are the things that have happened to Pato, for example. That people have just come back uh, who are originally from there, and now they are drawn back to do stuff for their hometown club, even though they live somewhere else. And now that they have those skills, they have that quality to uh, sell the product that they actually have now now they have the product they didn't have it like for a good five years or so but that is that's the key for me that now you see kids in Batyoki games you see kids in Helsinki wearing like Pesapalo jerseys even which is something that I never saw like 10-15 years ago so that's where it's asked Mm. Well, the the um, chart you're talking about um, is something I've been working on today when I was bored at work. <laughs> um, and um, Patu, uh, their home attendance up to the midsummer break is up 43% on last year. And that's the second highest out of everybody. Uh, Ayarvi uh, has the largest increase, but I suppose that's not that uh, surprising considering they've gone from... Um, Urkus Pesis kind of mid 
uh, you know, top top three team to uh, Super Paces this year. So one can easily understand a, a number of uh, fans being excited about that and coming back to the stands. But Patioki and Norahe region are are in decline. You know, the industry is going, the population is is dwindling. People are moving. Um, to uh, the bigger cities and things like uh, Helsinki and all, all other places for for university and things like that. So to actually see an increase on average of two hundred and fifty seven people um, each game is is pretty damn impressive. Uh, Kempele as well has also seen an increase by about thirty six percent. But the one that really shocked me on that list is uh, Koskan Korva. Now, I've, <laughs> I've talked a few times about the really low attendances at uh, Koskan Korva games. Um, an extra 127 people on average have been turning up to the games, which is an extra 21%. So that's, that's quite surprising, uh, especially considering they've been doing well but not setting the scene on fire so far this season they've uh, they've been plodding along i'd probably call it well in terms of the the women's teams as as well i was um quite um surprised to see ferra uh, doing as well as they are i felt that um okay this is them now breaking into that uh, that top four a little bit. Whether they'll make it stick, I don't know. Um, one of the biggest disappointments, obviously a lot of people expect uh, Roy Hutteret to uh, be down towards the bottom of, of that table, but I was expecting a little more from Kempele um, in the women's. Um, Mika, what do you think of the... Uh, the highs and lows uh, for the for the women's up to the midsummer point. Well, you basically covered them. I mean, those bottom teams—they deserve to be there. It's just Rohuparet and Kepele—they're not playing well. They are not doing the fundamentals. In that's when you <laughs> you get it. You get in big trouble, and uh, but yeah, I would say that some teams that were supposed to be like in the middle of the pack, they are they have raised their level a bit, and uh, but yeah, it's still also like thinking about the theme that we have today is that it is one thing that still spring like comes up to me that. It's kind of wild to think that within all sports, both male and female, like sports, team sports in Finland, uh, women's superpasses are year after year, like sixth or seventh in average attendance among, <laughs> among all sports. So at times I feel like that are we kind of sitting on a high horse here? And like as a small sport thinking that, okay, this is a given. That we we do get like players and this is like this is how it goes, but yeah, but it's not like that. No, well, I I'm I'm actually going to draw back to one of our earlier points on that because you raise a very interesting point because the women's super races is so well received in Finland and there is a a large audience 
for it in, in terms of the market share of, of people. Um, Orna, is this something that MLB can learn from? Should we be championing women's baseball a lot more? I think so, yeah. So I think Finland's got this really, really amazing scene for women's team sports. I think we've got a really strong history of it in both Pesapala as well as other team sports, especially. And I think that is something that the MLB and baseball in general could probably tap into a little bit more. Like I think we've we've done a, a strong job of it, trying to get it started here in the UK. But I think we've now hit this really critical point where the, we've got the league, the league has started, we've got regular teams, but now it's a question of raising it. So we've already had those core people who who are played and who had friends who wanted to play um, and bringing in together all the teams from across the UK into these concentrated teams. But how do we now get new people into the sport? And I think that's something that Finnish team sports and festival have been doing really well. You've got that space for people to go into. You know, there's this demand for people to see women playing and and doing well and you know as you say women's super press is, is 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 well watched and well attended compared to some some other women's sports and especially compared to women's sports in other countries sometimes so what is Pesapala doing that could translate to to baseball that I think that is really key where we can push those women's sports out a lot more actually I would like to present one extra question because uh, today I was just talking about uh, some other stuff with with a friend of mine who is like also uh, in the base uh, in the baseball program and also in the softball program in Finland, and uh, we have discussed in this podcast like several times that there is a softball program in Finland that they are trying to get to the Olympics in Los Angeles. And we were talking about like where do they need to be like one a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. Like how do you see baseball in in UK? Yeah, like does it what is the realistic outcome for you? Like maybe let's say three, four years from now. Uh, does it have a sp- does it have a space like does it fit in there and what could be the ways to expand to get exposure in UK? I mean, I very much see that there is a space. So it, I think we can see it from places like how well the GB team did at the WBCs. Um, I mean, the women's team we. It was their very first Euros and we picked up a win. So the hopefully hope is next time we will go and get a couple more and a couple more and a couple more. And the aim is, is the Los Angeles Olympics, where we are hoping that baseball will be well, baseball will be back on the programme, but but the women's baseball will be back on the programme as well, as a instead of just women's softball, which is obviously where the, the Finnish team has 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 gone and have yeah. been doing really great strides in getting that team started. I've um met some of the people trying to start a sandstorm. Uh, softball club and and talked with them about how that's going to work and what that's going to look like and what resources they might need because of, of us setting up, up the women's league in the UK and I think what we just need to do we need to really really have those systematic 
processes in place where we can recruit players, give them spaces to play. That youth program, I think, is really critical. Every club should have a youth program. And we used to have that the top tier uh, teams in the NBL, the National uh, Baseball League in the UK, National Breach Baseball League, um, which is the highest division in the UK, that they had to have a youth program to be able to play in the NBL. Otherwise, you were capped to playing at AAA at the most. So if you wanted to get to that highest level of baseball, you had to have a youth team for which you need to recruit players, you need to make connections with schools. And I think that we, that is the way to go, really, is to and because then you've got these youth players who then grow up playing the sport, go into the adult leagues and bring up that level of, of homegrown players. And I think that's the really big thing the UK to do next is to, to have these homegrown players rather than um, just, just players who can get a, a British passport but have lived their entire life in America. You know, get get that real home feeling to it give that give that pride to the the country yeah absolutely so i think that'll just about do it uh, for this episode um we've reached the uh, bottom of the ninth as it were and uh, i just want to say thank you very much uh, for our uh, special guest and co-host for this evening Orna Erlinen. um thank you for joining us and where can we find more about you and about your baseball club um thank you for it for, for first things thanks for having me here it's it's been really interesting and really exciting and just on what an off chance right it's absolutely amazing and I'm, I'm really excited to have been here thank you so much for having me um in terms of the um the club we've got some social media we've got facebook and instagram i myself tend to mostly hang out on either facebook or instagram there is a little bit on the club website most likely sx baseball club is, is where I play and the Bells Baseball um, website should be live now as well that has a little team bio profiles and kind of team dates and when we play and where we play and we generally try to post on social media some photos of what we've been up to so Bells Baseball is on Instagram as well <laughs> Thank you and of course my uh, co-host and coach who's kicking the dirt um, after suffering that loss uh, Mikko <laughs> Thanks for joining me once again. Thanks. It's it's been a very special episode, and uh, I'm just happy to like. Sorry, Ron, but it's I'm I'm just happy that it's not all male <laughs> panel all the time, and uh, you'll get your blue chase turn the next time. <laughs> and that just leaves me, your host, Ian Alba. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this baseball takeover of the Super Pesis Roundup podcast. Um, if you want to know more about me, you can follow me on Twitter or on Facebook at SuperPesisR. You can also uh, check out some of my uh, writings on the blog at SuperPesisRoundup.wordpress.com. You'll also see me writing from time to time for Harmina's website. Um, if you have enjoyed the podcast, then please do like or subscribe. Hey, even leave us a comment. We would love to hear from you. But from me, we'll see you soon. If you've got something that's hidden far away